What's up, guys? This is PC, and this is your backstage pass to the Green Room Podcast Series. What is up, guys? Hey, it's PC. You're listening to the Green Room Podcast Series, and I cannot even begin to tell you how excited I am for our guest today. We've got Carlos Ojeda Jr. Carlos, what's happening, my guy? Doing pretty good, PC. Uh, trying to manage being a motivational speaker, CEO, teacher for my three kids doing virtual learning, and dad and husband. But uh, so far, so good. I'm keeping my head above water. Right, right. So you're not busy at all, for sure, man. And so we were talking just a little bit ago about you had a huge event yesterday. Talk about what went down in your studio yesterday. Uh, yesterday was an absolute insane day. I don't know whose idea it was, but uh, uh, we we work with gear programs all across the country. Uh, it's a federal program. There are tons of programs. Uh, they work with students in middle school and high school to get them ready for college. And as a thank you, uh, this week is National Gear Up Week, so as a thank you, we decided to give a full day of programming away for free. So we did 25 uh 25 sessions in 13 hours. We had one session every 30 minutes uh, all the way until 1030 at night. So we had uh, the re- people like, why? I think, well, we want to make sure East, West, Coast, everyone got a chance to do it. So we had student programming throughout the day on a large arc so that kids on the West Coast will be able to receive. And we also made it replayable uh, for two days so that if students couldn't get to an event, they would be able to do it. Then we did professional development sessions for educators. We had panels with students on them. We had panels for educators to share. Uh, and then we did parent programming in the evening uh, in English and in Spanish. We went over FAFSA. We talked about how you support kids during this epidemic. Uh, pretty wide ranging conversations throughout the day couple thousand people participated. It was a very crazy day. I am actually, if you hear it in my voice, my voice is still kind of hoarse uh, and I am utterly exhausted, but it was glorious, you know, because we did some good out there. We provided resources and assistance to educators, teachers, and, and, and students that really needed it. And in this day and age with everything, this 2020, you know, I was joking saying the Aztecs and the Mayans had it wrong. 2012 wasn't it. 2020, they were eight years off because 2020 had been rough. Uh, it was awesome to be able to give back and to give back to our partners and uh, our friends. Uh, you know, we work with these programs for over eight years. They're more than just clients. They're more than just educators. They're family and friends that we, you know, we talk on a regular text on a regular. These students, we've, the really awesome part of that, process is I've worked with students from like seventh grade all the way until they graduate so they become family too so it was our way to give back and it was uh it was an insane idea but uh once we survived it was awesome absolutely and so a day like that where you're doing 20 plus sessions you don't just all of a sudden decide hey we're going to do this and we're going to tackle it without building to get to that point and so for people who maybe don't know you aren't familiar with who you are and what you're all about who is Carlos Ojeda Jr. Um, uh, well, everybody calls me Chu. Uh, so, you know, uh, the joke is my name is Carlos Alberto Torres Rivera de Jesus Jr. Uh, you know, and it's really funny when I say that, uh, you'll, you'll get a kick out of this. When I say my name now, I go, my name is, uh, oh, where is it at? We're going to have fun with, uh, with Zoom right now. 
when I say my name is Carlos Fajardo Jr., I'll do something like this. Oh, it's not working. Uh, don't worry about it. But uh, I am a youth motivational speaker, and I am CEO of CoolSpeak, a youth engagement company. Uh, many years ago, I started speaking when I was 25, uh, very, very young, 23, 25 when I made it to the national stage. So I've been doing this for a long time. But after doing it for so long, I realized I wanted to have a greater impact than the one that I did. Uh, the speeches were great. I connected with students and teachers, um, but it always felt a little fleeting. Like, you know, I was leaving there. I was going to walk out and the students were going to go back. Teachers are going to go back to the environments that they're in. And I wanted longer impact. And I met my business partner, Ernesto, uh, through uh, a shared mentor. And we hit it off uh, and we kind of came up with this, you know, I had the idea for CoolSpeak and he's like, let's make it happen. And so 10 years ago, we started our engagement company. And so we do programming uh, from summer camps to conferences, professional development, all of that. And we do that programming uh, year round. Uh, we used to have lows when it's like, okay, nothing to do in January, nothing to do with summer. And we're always busy. Um, it's like a pandemic to slow us down a little bit, but we've been doing programming for for wide ranging of populations all across the country. So cool. And so let's talk about CoolSpeak. And first of all, I just love the name. How did you even come up with, with the idea for the name of CoolSpeak? Um, I was giving someone else advice on a nonprofit that they were building about how do you come up with a name for your organization? I'm driving in my car giving advice on the phone and I was giving them, you know, like, let me give you an example. If I, you know, I already had the idea for the company, but no name. And I was like, you know, um, he said the word speakeasy. And I was like, yeah, you know, that I like that. Right. And it's like, except I wouldn't use something like that because, you know, alcohol and kids and that, that wouldn't go, but I do like to speak. See, because I speak a language that's cool. And, you know, I speak a cool speak and the word, just kind of happened. And I very quickly, very dangerously hit the brakes, pull off on the highway. And the person's like, what's going on? I said, I'll, I'll get back to you in a second. I grabbed a piece of paper this is before you use your phones for that stuff. And I wrote down cool speak because it just, the idea is that kids speak a language that's cool. It's ever changing. It, it moves. We have no control over it. Uh, in this day and age, it actually moves and changes. Their cadence changes all the time. And so I speak cool speak, you know, and I help others speak cool speak. And then I wrote it down. And that night I designed the logo and actually PC, this is going to be crazy. Um, this is the first vision board I ever created. A very many, cool. Many years ago. It's really rough. And uh, down here on it, if I pull it up, is the very first logo for my company. Okay. I designed it, I printed it, and I kept it. And it's on my vision board uh, uh, where I share with students, right? And uh, I wrote it down, and that was it. I, I had the idea for the program, and then all of a sudden I had the name, and it stuck. And, uh, and then from there, we just started working on it. It was my 20, I was 22 years old, and uh, I was in grad school when I came up with it. That's awesome, man. And you're right. Like you get those ideas, you just have to stop whatever you're doing and write right. it down, write them because otherwise it's like, what was I thinking about earlier today? You know, like it, it just, it just flies away from you. Talk about, and you shared a little bit of your story with me. And I think it's important for listeners to hear this as well. Talk about your experience as a student in school growing up. Um, 
It was, uh, it was wild and crazy. I grew up in North New Jersey. Um, my parents are from Puerto Rico. Um, they both moved to the States uh, differently. Um, my mother moved very late in her life. My father moved here very early. So he is much more acculturated, speaks mostly English, uh, spoke mostly English, barely any Spanish. My mother came late in life. Uh, she spoke mostly Spanish, uh, barely in English, and uh, that was a match made in heaven uh, because, you know, uh, they when they argued, they never knew what they were saying to each other. So it's, it's always hilarious uh, when they argued. Um, uh, but they got married, and uh, they, they met in the same factory. They came here for the same reasons. My father was a migrant worker, worked a field, but eventually when those jobs became uh, uh, plateaued as far as pay, but the factories were paying more money, my father's family moved to the north to start working in those, in those factories. My mother came from Puerto Rico to work in those factories, and they met at work in a factory. That's where they met. Uh, so we grew up in North New Jersey, and uh, it was a pretty rough neighborhood, you know, one of the more deadliest cities in America a couple times, uh, carjacking capital of the world, but that's where the work was. And uh, when I was 10 years old, uh, I witnessed a murder. You know, I did most of the kids in my neighborhood at one time in broad daylight. It was very brazen. And uh, my mother just said she couldn't deal with it. So they moved me uh, from New from the New York City skyline all the way to Reading, Pennsylvania. And you want to talk about culture shock. Um, now, if you look up Reading now, it is a different place. It was uh, one of the poor cities in America a couple of years ago. But back then, it was uh, a medium-sized city. Uh, predominantly unicultural. Uh, so going out there was a total shock. It was totally the opposite of North New Jersey. Um, and it was rough. There was a, you know, I was put in bilingual, even though I was fluent in English and Spanish, but my last name and my mom's accent, that was more than enough. So, uh, and they didn't know how to deal with influx of, of, of a different culture, which is, if you look throughout the country, wherever there's an influx, uh, educators struggle uh, to adapt. And, and it is those school districts and, and schools that adapt well, uh, where the, that, that population actually grows and, and, and there's a, a beautiful synergy there. Uh, but in schools where, where they struggle with that, uh, it was tough. Um, you know, I, I, nobody expressly told me this, but in my eyes, the way the school looked at me, I, they didn't like me, and I, and I don't like school. And so by the time I was in 10th grade, I was getting in trouble a lot, a knucklehead. Um, and everything changed my senior year. I met this amazing woman, actually two amazing women. Uh, for the sake of my speech, I usually only kind of talk on one, but it was actually two amazing women, Mrs. Fuchs and uh, Miss Faye Ortiz, who saw something in me that nobody else did. And uh, they regardless of my hesitancy, regardless of how much of a knucklehead I tried to be, they were relentless. They would talk to my family at home. They they would speak to my mom in Spanish, talk to my dad in English. They made me go to college fairs. They, you know, they, they took me on college trips and they 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 turned it around. You know, I, um, I think Josh Ship says it all the time, uh, one caring adult, right? Uh, I, I had two and they totally changed my perception of things and uh, gave me a chance, made me take my SATs. I scored an 1100. Uh, turned out I wasn't, you know, uh, as much of a knucklehead as I was portraying. 
and uh, I got a scholarship to go to college. And so I, I was turning around. The, the, the killer of my story and probably the one that uh, is more recent revelation is the fact that I am hearing impaired. Uh, I wear hearing aids, actually. Uh, I wear four hearing aids. One, two, three, four. These aren't molds. They're each their own hearing aid, and they connect to my phone, so I can control because I have to adapt to the surrounding. Um, and I didn't get diagnosed until I was 23. So all of a sudden, it all made sense. My troubles at school, uh, my my getting in trouble in church because we went to a church with a cathedral who's you know, the echoes and everything, I couldn't hear. Like, you know, my mom used to like, you know, you've got the devil in you because you, you act out in church. No, I was just bored. I can't, all I hear is echoes, right? I just couldn't hear. Oh, you look back, the perspective, when you realize all of that. Uh, at 23 years old, I find out I only have 47% of my hearing. I've been, you know, significantly hearing impaired throughout my entire high school, middle school college career uh, and everything all of a sudden made sense the difficulties the trouble and how I was just passed along uh, and just got by and uh, it it, it kind of set me on the path to work with kids right because I want to work with those students I want to work with students not led by it I'm proud of the fact that in our programs we have identified students with learning disability we've identified students that can't read you know we create the safe spaces because uh, I have a hero complex when it comes to that, right? I've got two children that are hearing impaired, uh, and this is part of my mission. I grew up poor. Uh, I, I I love working with the, our most vulnerable students and giving them the opportunity, shielding them long enough so that they're not vulnerable anymore, right? You go from vulnerable to powerful uh, with the right guidance and support. Absolutely. Give it somebody to believe in you to give you that yeah. hope for a better tomorrow, right? Yeah, That's absolutely. And to me, that's why we all get into education to begin, or I hope it's why we all get into education. I think sometimes we lose sight of that as educators, you know, because we get caught up in all the stuff, the BS that we have to deal with, right? Um, but what's your why? And that's something I always try to, when I'm working with educators, is let's go back to that core foundation of why did I decide, hey, I'm going to go to school and I'm going to be a teacher, right? I want to work with young people. I want to empower them to have that hope for a better tomorrow. One of the things that you talk about your voice is your power. And you talked a little bit about when you, when you moved to Pennsylvania and they put you in the ESL class. And I, I, there's a story there that you had a conversation with your dad and, and being in those classes and all that good stuff. I, you don't have to go through the entire thing, but touch about your voice is your power. Oh, the voice is the power. It, it, it has so many different levels to it because in my life, I grew up poor. Um, I didn't have, even when I wanted to start my business PC, I, I didn't have inheritance. I didn't have seed money. I didn't have capital. All I had was my voice, right? And I made something of myself simply by being able to communicate with others. Uh, but on a grander scale for students, I often feel that, uh, especially for students that don't have agency uh, and efficacy is an issue, their voice is everything. They can make that difference. Uh, it's one of the reasons why uh, my wife and, and, and I, for our daughter who is profoundly hearing impaired, we really work on that. And we put her in a school that really promotes that. If she doesn't understand something, she speaks up for herself. And that is very powerful because I'm not going to always be there to 
but my wife's not going to always be there to fight that battle. And someone with profound hearing impairment needs to have that. So what we're trying to teach students is that their voice is their power, that they can use that voice to make changes in their lives, in their family's life. And I learned that from my father. My father, you know, not a perfect man. No one ever is, right? Uh, but he was doing the best that he could, you know. Uh, he was a maintenance man, and uh, I'll be honest with you, I was really embarrassed by my dad's job, right? He had to wear the uniform with the name, you know, the Dickey uniform, powder blue with the navy blue with someone's name. He was always super humble. Yes, miss. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. And for some reason, I always thought that that my perception of it was that that was a position of weakness. Um, I later find out it was really about respect. My father providing respect to others so that others would respect him, and they did. Um, when my father passed away, I, it was a moment of realization how many people uh, a simple maintenance man had impacted. There was hundreds of people that came. Uh, the the old people in the old people's home, where my father would be a maintenance man, he had several buildings. They could not come to the funeral, but they asked if the the, the procession would pass. And all of these people with health issues and whatnot, they were out of their building waving goodbye to my father. You know, you see this simple man who lived by this edict of just being respectful and hardworking. And, uh, and you know, when you're a kid, you don't realize those things, right? You just, you don't. So I was embarrassed of my father. And there was even a, a one time, if I remember, and I share this with students sometimes, my dad, it was an ice storm. Uh, if anybody knows Reading, Pennsylvania, there's like one high school and it's on the very top of a mountain and, you know, it is very far to walk and there's an ice storm. It's a hill. My father got out of work early to come get me, except he was wearing his uniform. And I pretended not to see him and I walked. On the day when my father accompanied me to school, to help me get out of bilingual because he knew I didn't belong there. Um, I looked at my father and it was one of those weird moments because I was ashamed of my dad. And there were moments where I look back and go, I should have been ashamed of myself. Because on that day, my father, who was not necessarily educated, graduated high school, uh, he was probably scared to talk to the teachers. They're smarter than him. They're the authority and whatnot. But he was my champion. And he said, you know, he walked in there and he, my mom told him to go, you know, it's like my mom's a fighter too, but doesn't speak the language. So send the guy who can speak the language. Uh, and he was like, why is my son in bilingual? And my father spoke really good English. You know, so that throws them through a loop, right? And he said, can you give him a test? I don't know what the test would be. Can you do something? And they gave me the test. And it was one of those moments that my, my dad looked at me and said, hey, your voice is your power. You got to speak up. And what, me and my sisters, we always roll our eyes because throughout our entire life, my dad's like, speak up, you know, go, speak up, your voice, your power, speak up. And when we were kids, it was annoying, but, it, you know, life gives you perspective. We look back and he prepared us for who we are now, uh, outspoken. Uh, we are advocates for, for, for people around us. And um, it's important. And I learned that from a simple maintenance man. Uh, you know, work hard, be respectful, be humble, uh, and always speak your mind. So much about perspective, you know, that like so many aspects of life. It's, it's so much about perspective. Talk about with your background and your heritage, Puerto Rican heritage 
and you talked about you and your sister. What have been the challenges outside of, like we talked about the ESL class and all that good stuff, uh, what have been the challenges with your background of living here in America? Um, oh, PC, we can, that, that can be an entire podcast, my right, friend. Right, right. Uh, you know, uh, stereotypes are always killer. Um, uh, you know, I'll give you one. I'll give you one. There's a whole bunch, but I'll give you one that hurts right now. Um, the fact that people think Puerto Ricans aren't Americans. The fact that they think that we, uh, and it's perpetuated, you know, that we are some sort of immigrant. I'm an American. Every Puerto Rican on the island is an American. But when, when we were devastated by a hurricane that left us completely ravaged into, even though the media does not cover it, we are still utterly destroyed by it. Uh, and now you add to that over 20-some earthquakes that have hit the island since December 28th, and you add a pandemic to that. Our island is, is destroyed, and it's an island of, of Americans, right? Uh, but people don't see that. Uh, they, 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 you know, the perception is that I'm an immigrant, that this is not my country. Uh, now you'll see that there's a Puerto Rican flag on the wall, but right next to it is the American flag. Yeah because I'm both, right? Uh, my, my grandfather fought in, in the Korean, my, my great uncle fought in World War II. My grandfather fought in the Korean War. I have friends that are police officers that serve, I have family members that serve. We are Americans and it's very weird because it's only more recently that it has come up that that is not, you know, so that stereotype hurts sometimes. Yeah. Uh, because they're like, well, we gotta worry about Americans, not. Puerto Ricans, that's the same thing. We are Americans and we need help. Uh, and sometimes that, that gets a little difficult. Um, um, so the stereotypes and the perceptions have always been difficult. Um, uh, the poverty where, you know, that we grew up in and, and trying to be upwardly mobile, mobile in, in this world, is, it's a difficult path. Yep. But I will yep. tell you that that's one recently. It's like, yeah, I'm not an immigrant. I'm an American just like each and every one of you. I just speak another language as well as my, you know, my, my English. And, and uh, uh, that's, that's one that more recently has been difficult to uh, engage people on when there is, you know, false information out there painting us to be uh, something less of what we are, you know. Lack of knowledge, you know, like that's what it comes down to. It's a, it's a lack of knowledge. And so you're a dad, you've got three kids. And we've had this conversation before, but it was so, it's something that just, I think about it almost every single day. And it's something I want our listeners to hear as well. You talked about with your kids that, you know, the things that they have to deal with as non-white people. And one of the things that you said during our conversation was that we have to be willing to have the conversation so that we don't have to have the talk. Yeah. And I, I've got to, it's my friend, Chris Collins, who is a phenomenal speaker. Um, it's his. He, he's actually writing a program called the 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 talk and the conversation. He's the one that said it and stayed in my mind. And we've been working on that. Yeah, uh, my father had it with me. You know, he said, "Look, uh, specifically as a as a young man, which is the big thing because I have two boys, and uh, specifically he's like, you 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 live in a world where whether you want to or not." Uh, let me be clear. I believe that we are all equal. I truly believe that, but that may not necessarily be the reality for everyone. Um, and it, it hasn't been for me. Uh, so 
I have two beautiful brown boys, you know, one browner than the other. So my 16 year old, he's, he's very much like my father. He's a darker uh, skinned young man, loves, plays basketball, loves hip hop, dresses the way they do, likes hoodies, like everything. But his white friends, they can act and do things differently than my son can. And, you know, we, we look out into the world and we know what we see. And, and um, one of the things that, it, that I have lived through that PC as mm-hmm. a child. My father had the conversation with me. And now uh, the key thing that I need everyone to be aware of, and, and like this is an issue right now for most of Americans, this is our existence for most of black, brown people, right? This isn't new to us. This is Tuesday. Yeah, we, this is what we exist. So when talking to my kids, we live in a nice neighborhood. My son likes to take walks, especially during the pandemic because he got nothing else to do. Uh, my son has learned to be overtly friendly, like almost weirdly. Every car that goes by, he waves. Police car waves. I gotta, he almost puts the volume on high because he is cognizant that if anyone perceives him as a threat, negative things can happen. And he had to learn that at a very young age to operate differently. And we've had those calls. We watch, we read books, we watch movies, we have conversations, right? And for me, it's important if, if, if we're ever gonna get past this current moment like my wonderful friend uh, Chris Collins comes up, we got to start having conversations at the, at the country so that people of color don't have to have those talks with their children, those uncomfortable talks with a young person where they look at you and go, why? Why do they do that to someone like me? Why would this be? It, we are ill-equipped to be able to answer those questions, but like, but do this anyway. You know, there is a difference. There's a, there's layers to this, right? Um, and it's important that we have those difficult conversations. Uh, and, and people don't want to have them, but that's why we call them difficult conversations. But I really believe that if we got away from the buzzwords, if we got away from the sound bites, if we got away from the political slogan, and we just had conversations, difficult ones, albeit, uh, ones that might hurt uh that the but i will tell you that that hurt would be temporary uh because we would get through where we need to and when chris said that it just it resounded in my mind uh, and the program that he's working on is just awesome you know absolutely great uh about having more conversations so that we don't have to have the talk anymore because that that talk it got commercialized pc but that is a very real thing that people of color have with their children uh, because uh, I want my kid to come home. I love my child. And uh, it's uh, this summer, people come through our neighborhood all the time, PC. They put leaflets on doors. Uh, sometimes they come and sell you stuff. Sometimes they want to come and talk about Jesus. Uh, sometimes they want to talk to you about politics. Okay. Uh, my son made a mistake. Uh, uh, um, someone approached him, a man said, Hey, I'll give you a hundred bucks to you and your friend. If you go around and put these leaflets, you know, for, you know, garage, uh, 
driveway feeling. My son was like, heck, I'll take the 100 bucks. Not what he should do. Uh, so they went around and they put leaflets on all the doors. My community sent an email that they had video of a young black and looks a young Latino going door to door and that we should be careful. It was my son. There isn't a violent bone in his body. There isn't, I mean, he is so nice and caring and just not what they portrayed him to be. We had never received an email about any of the other people that come through. None of them, no, no cameras, never. But this young black boy who's two doors down from my house who just moved in and my brown kid, they sent it out. What was suspicious? Was it illegal? Was, was, the, was the pamphlet promoting something crazy, you know, sealant for your driveway? What was it? And was it that they were young? Okay, I'll give you that. Or was it something more? And so I reached out and said, yeah, my son probably shouldn't have done it. Shouldn't have taken $100. We actually, my son had to give away the $100 to charity because I said, you don't take money from strangers. You don't do that thing. We reinvest that. You know, I was nervous. I said, you can't do that. He's like, I thought I was doing something good, Dad. You know, um, and that's the first time I share this, PC, on your podcast. I haven't shared it with anyone. It's those moments where I'm like, this is what I'm trying to talk about. This is my reality versus maybe your reality in this world where that plays a role. And when I got that email, I, I literally wanted to throw up. I was like, really? It's just two kids passing around leaflets. And actually, one, one of the videos was his friend waving at the camera because they're, they're they're meatballs, right? And they saw the camera and said, it's like, we're not doing anything. We're being friendly. We're just working. But that's why we have to have the talk. Yep. You know, yep. because what if a police officer would have stopped them for that? How do you go about doing that? What do you do? My son knows. I drill him. He knows how to react. He knows what to do because I don't want something bad to happen. And that is uh, the reality that we live in. And that's a very, it's, even now, PC, you're going to get some people that are listening to this podcast, and they're going to get upset about this. Uh, they're they're going to disagree, which I'm all for that, as long as we can continue that conversation in, in, until we find that common ground. Uh, but for me, and this is going to be somewhat humorous, because I tend to use humor quite a bit, um, denying that this is an issue, denying that that this exists is, is I would uh, liken it to flat earthers. Uh, I find that mind blowing. I have telescope, my family, we, we spend nights out looking at space. We know that earth is round. We know this, but flat earthers, they say, well, I look at the horizon and the horizon is flat. Ergo, the world is flat. I see no evidence. So I believe that. So to, for people that say that, you know, this situation that we're going through doesn't exist because they don't see it, that just means you haven't looked for the research to justify your perception, right? There's more out there. Flat earthers, you got to go into space. You got to do this. You got to, there's experiments that you can do, right? 
was the same thing with this. Just because it's not your reality and just because you haven't seen it, you can't outright dismiss somebody else's experience, somebody else's existence, without truly looking to see if it's really the case. And that's the big thing, empathy, understanding, walking in, you know, my father used to say, you gotta walk in someone else's shoes. That's an old refrain, but it's the truth, you know? Um, and and I, I believe that that is the way. There are really awesome programs that are doing that, bringing people together to have those conversations, seeing the other side. Um, that's why it's important for us to continue to have those conversations so that we can uh, not have to have those talks anymore. And I think that's just a great example of privilege. And that's another word that a lot of people get offended by and they hear it and they're like, well, I haven't been handed anything in my entire life. But we go back to your story right there. And if that's my son, if that's Brooks going house to house, the odds of that email coming out are slim to none, right? Because he's a white kid. Um, and and that's, just the, that's just the truth of the matter here. And so that leads into the next thing I want you to talk about. You're working on a new project, which I am super stoked on, with a leadership curriculum. And the foundation of this entire thing is how can we get to know one another and understand and appreciate one another much better. Talk about that and, and what your vision, what your goals are for that. I, I'm definitely gonna talk about that, but you said privilege and I, I needed to share something with you. Okay. That really throws people off. Because you, you're right, privilege is a trigger word. Uh, and how can I disarm people with that? Simple, I have white privilege. Compared to an African-American, I have privilege. It might not be 100%, privilege, right? But maybe I got 60% because I went to college. I learned how to speak the language and, in, in, you know, and code switch. I've, I've, I, I've been successful, started a successful business. Uh, I've maneuvered my way through. There's a percentage. The privilege, people think it's bad. You can change the name of it, right? But we all have some form of privilege, some percentage, some level of it. Uh, it's an, It exists, right? Uh, whether it uh, we want to admit it or not, but we all, so I've learned, and that was very difficult for me to embrace. It was one of my dear friends, Lillian Prado Carrillo, uh, who brought it to light and gave me a couple of books to read on, and I read, and I was like, oh, holy crap. I'm Puerto Rican, you know, and I've dealt with racism my entire life, but I have privilege versus other people. And it could be my African-American, it could be darker skinned Latinos, it could be whatever it is, there's a certain level of privilege that I had to own and be honest with. Like I had to be like, all right, yeah, it was a little uncomfortable, it wasn't easy to deal with, but I embraced it because in order for me to be an ally for somebody else, uh, I gotta start with me and that kind of, segues to the program that we're trying to do. Um, we're, we're actually, we have a writing uh, session today. Uh, we're writing a program called Unity, uh, a curriculum, Y-O-U-N-I-T-Y. And the idea is to develop an all-inclusive leadership model uh, that takes all the wonderful leadership models that are out there, but brings a deeper uh, cultural understanding and cultural worth, uh, a deeper understanding of, of how to collaborate and, and compromise uh, and find common ground. All the C words that are, seem to be very scary now and that no one wants to utter, but that's the way we get to. And the idea is that 
it all starts with me. I got to look inside me and embrace everything about myself, my biases, my point of view, my experiences and how they have shaped me and shaped my perception of things. If I operate strictly on my upbringing, my perception of police officers would be very different, but I've learned to understand that that is not the only thing. I had to go around and embrace. So you have to work with me. So once you have me, I got to I got to work about you, right? I got to understand you, who you are, your biases, your blind spots, where you're coming from, what how your experiences has shaped you, right? So now I've got me and I've got you, and then we figure out how to work together, right? We come up with, with curriculum that teaches us how to work together, not we create an us, right? So now it's you and me, that's us. But the problem with that is that for every us, there's always a them. And that's where we're at now. That's where the conflict is, so far apart. Us and them are so far apart. Man, look, my hands aren't even on the screen anymore. That's how far apart we are, right? Uh, our goal is to build the collaboration, the compromise, find those common grounds, and bring us and them together to create we. Because we are better. We are stronger. We, are, we can overcome a pandemic. Uh, we can stamp out uh, injustice. Uh, we, can, we can create and, and, and invent and, and, and progress further together, right? We, uh, that's, that's, if you look at the moments of greatness in, in, in our country's history, it's moments when we might not have wanted to, but the circumstances had kind of thrusted us to have to work together whether we wanted to or not, right? Uh, and yeah, it wasn't always fun and, and, and great, you know, like, you know, uh, I heard stories of World War II where it's like, you know, racism, Racism aside, we gotta work together or else something really bad's going to happen. And, and it wasn't all hunky-dory and, and, and it's not a movie and everybody didn't hold hands and say kumbaya, but we worked together regardless. There were collaborations and compromises and coalitions made for a greater good. That's where we have to get to, to get to that point where us and them come together, right? Because I'm tired of hate. I don't want this generation of young people to perpetuate another generation of hate, you know, another generation of opposition. We are so much better when we're together. It is, it feels better. Everything, everything in science tells us that, you know, it's so much better to smile than to frown, more muscles to frown. All this little data that we have tells us that it's better when we work together, you know, beautiful things create. It's one of the reasons I'm, I'm mentoring a awesome program, uh, called uh, the Philadelphia Sound Exchange, and what they do, PC is freaking great. I'm, I'm, I'm guiding their their founder. They take students from a predominantly white suburban school, and they take students from a predominantly black and brown inner city school, and they bring them together to create music. And through that, they have discussions about about injustice and, and racial equity in, in America. And, and then they take the kids and they go to each other's schools, they work together, and then they perform the most amazing music, beautiful music together, right? Us, them, nah, we, right? And, and th that's where I see those moments that I see where things come together and work great. 
It's about we. It's not about us. It's not about you or me. It's about we. And that's what we're working on. So we'll, we are actually having another writing session now. We've got a, a bunch of amazing practitioners who have worked with students all over the country working together uh, to design something that will have a significant impact on our society. So powerful. And I, I, I just absolutely can't wait to see what you come up with. I know, I know that y'all are going to absolutely crush it, man. You've got another huge project coming up. One of the companies that you and your team partners with is McDonald's. And so you've got some events that are coming up that I know all these educators that are listening right now are going to be interested in. Talk about your partnership and these events that are coming up and how people can register. So uh, I would say probably about six or seven years ago, uh, we got the opportunity to partner with McDonald's to do a nationwide tour uh, all across the country and promote their Aced scholarship. So Aced is to do, you know, to make. Uh, so Aced Comida, I'm going to make some food, which I'm going to have to do because I'm also the lunch lady. Uh, on top of being principal, headmaster, teacher assistant, I'm also the lunch lady, so I got to go make lunch and yell at my kids like a really good lunch lady would. Right. Uh, uh, so the Aced scholarship is a scholarship that is um, funded by owner-operators of Latino descent, Hispanic owner-operators in, co in, co in collaboration with McDonald's, they give out scholarship money every year. This year, it's over $500,000. So every year, we travel the country. We do uh, about 10 cities. We take over a high school. It's been epic. We do college fairs. We do books and resources. They get motivational presentations. Me and my uh, Business partner are the ones that usually do the, Ernesto Mejia, we're the ones that do the program. Um, it's awesome. It has been so amazing because as a motivational speaker, there's so many places I wish I could go, but sometimes budgets won't allow it. And um, at a point, me and my business partner have often gone for free to help places if we can within reason. If I'm, in your, if I'm already getting paid to speak here, you know what, I'll go over there and I'll look you out. But the program's always been free. We are able to take this program all across the country for free and impact, promote. Another really great thing has been that even though it's a Latino scholarship, right, it's a Hispanic scholarship, the programming is always inclusive. The presentations aren't just for the Latino students, they're for every student in the auditorium. Uh, the resources and tools that we provide are for every student there. Uh, so it's one of those things where I tell people, it's like the Hispanic scholarship is actually helping a bunch of students, not just the Hispanic students, because when we go to the school, we're reaching out to all of them. And um, so this year, we've got a pandemic. We can't go to 10 cities, right? So we're going virtual. Uh, in the next few weeks, we're going to be doing uh, three virtual events, one for the East Coast, one for Central, and then one for the West Coast. Each event will have three components. We will have a free um professional development for educators, uh, anybody that works with students to get them to college. So it could be a counselor, it could be a coach, uh, any TRIO or Upper Bound program or gear up, any of those type programs, anyone that works with a kid trying to help them get to college, we're gonna do a free PD virtually. We're gonna be doing a free program for parents in the evening. Uh, we'll do an English session and a Spanish session because we wanna make sure we reach as many parents as possible. And we will do a free online virtual event for students during the school day. Now we're aiming for Wednesdays, 
because as we all know, whether they're doing hybrid or full virtuals, those Wednesdays are, tend to be, on average, the flex days. Uh, so schools, what's, what's happening now is schools are signing on board to be a part of it, and they are allowing us to take up one hour of their day and kids are logging in and they're going to get free presentations. We're going to have celebrity drop-ins. We've got this really awesome uh, papitas challenge where we have principals doing a TikTok video type thing. Uh, we have tons of tools and resources that we're going to be providing to students. And it is all for free, uh, which I love. You know, I love McDonald's for their commitment to education, all the things that they do. Um, People are like, yeah, corporate, I think you got to understand, they really do care about this. The owner operators that we have met, most of which are Latinos that had very humble beginnings and worked themselves up to be owner operators. And they, and they don't have to give back, but they do. And, they, and I will tell you, PC, they have come to every city we go to. They come and they participate and they hang out and they talk to the kids because all they want to do is give back. And that kind of energy, the type of energy that me and my company, that's what we thrive on and what we want to be a part. So uh, the, the, it's open to everyone. So we've got ooh, tens of thousands of students that are signing up to be a part of it. And schools can reach out and be a part of it. We can give them the registration for them so that they can be a part of it. But it's going to be great. We're going to start uh, mid-October, uh, and the program will continue until probably the week before uh, the week before Thanksgiving. And we will then also be doing one national event on a Saturday so that parents and students can come together. We'll be doing scholarship writing uh, activities. We'll be doing uh, having sessions for parents on how to help their kids navigate this during this time, all for free. Um, and the free is the big word, right? It's all for free, all high caliber, all very powerful. We've spent the better part of the last few months designing and prepping and preparing uh, to provide students with a top quality event. We can't it's gonna, wait. It's going to be awesome. And so how do we find information? How does somebody sign up for it? Uh, the, the, the website's going to be going up. I'm, I'm actually talking very early, right? The okay. website's going to be going up in another week or so. Okay. Uh, in the meantime, they can email my company if they're interested. It's info at coolspeak.net. Uh, and then we'll, as soon as the site goes live, we'll send them the link so they can be a part of it. Uh, but the, 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 the event, the, we're about a week away from launching the registration site. But in the meantime, we've been having those conversations with schools. We've worked with student councils like CADA and, and student councils uh, in Texas and whatnot. We're reaching out to school districts uh, that want to participate. Uh, and the response has been awesome. Uh, like I said, we're, we're almost at, uh, I want to say, 40,000 40, 50,000 students in California and the West Coast alone that are participating, yeah. which is great because one of the biggest things with scholarships is lack of information. People don't know it's out there. And this is an opportunity to present an awesome scholarship. And I'm on the scholarship committee, PC, and I get to read the essays from the students. I get to read. And two years ago, I was blessed that a student that I recommended to move forward uh, she won $100,000 and it changed her family and her life. And it was, I never thought I'd be so happy to give away that much money to someone. Uh, but the joy was unexpected and it was great. Like, I, I want that high again, right? So, yeah, we read all the essays and we participate because, especially now with everything that's going on, we could all use a little, a little bump, all use a little hand to help us up. 
Uh, so this is our way of being able to give back. 100%. Changing family trees, man. That's what it's all about. Yeah, man. Always. Next question, if somebody wants to connect with you, they want to bring you to their school, whether it's in person or virtual or to their conference, how do they, how do they look you up? Just find CoolSpeak. We're so Googleable. Cool, C-O-O-L, like, oh my God, you're so cool, PC. Speak. Oh, wow, you speak well. CoolSpeak, one word, dot net or dot com. Uh, or just Google us and you'll find us. But just go to our website. Uh, you click on, uh, you know, uh, our booking form and someone from my team will reach out to you. Uh, but yeah, we do virtual stuff. We do, uh, it's been a blessing, man. Even through a pandemic, we found ways to connect with students and, and parents and teachers and still make an impact. So uh, we're still trucking along, doing great work. And uh, uh, we welcome anyone and everyone uh, to reach out. I'll tell you, for most of my career, I have attempted to get to Hawaii to speak. It's, it's like the only state, one of the only states I haven't gone to. And uh, I, I, I even joke when like Hawaii's in the audience, they're like, look, I'll go for free. Just pay for my travel. I will speak as many times, right? So finally this year, I got three prospective gigs for Hawaii into the pandemic and I can't go. So, uh, you know. Uh, we're still doing it virtually right right oh that's awesome man well carlos i can't tell you like i think the absolute world of you man um every time that we talk i feel like i'm just a better person just from listening to the to you speak and your wisdom and your insights and i just i love who you are and what you're all about and just the impact that you're making not only on young people but just on people in general like we need more people like you out there, man. I just can't thank you enough for what you do and for who you are and for taking the time to be a part of the show here today, man. And I feel the same way, PC. You like, you're, you're a light in the world. And every time we get on the phone, I feel infinitely better. Uh, it, is, it is good to find kindred spirits in this world. I love what you do. I love uh, how you go about doing it. And thank you for letting me be on here and, and just, uh, you know, chopping it up a little bit. And, uh, and hopefully people will hear this and go, wow. Uh, these two crazy dudes uh, are, are making a little sense, right? Just a little bit. But thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you, man. Guys, you've been listening to the Green Room Podcast Series. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoy the podcast, if you do me a huge favor, if you would rate it, subscribe to it, and then share it with a fellow educator that you think might enjoy it as well. Chase your dreams, kids. Mm-hmm.